This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Boy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Hey everybody, it's Kevin Urutia here with Digital Marketing Fastlane. Today I have a very special guest. Today I have Alex Cunningham. Hey Alex, thanks for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing? Hey Kevin, I'm doing very, very well. How are you? Good, it's good. Good uh, Good day here in New York City. A little was raining, but now it's a little cleared up a little bit. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Miami, Florida. Oh, nice, nice and warm there. So is it warm there right now or how's it? Florida is whatever it wants to be at every given minute. I mean, it's, it looks warm right now, and in five minutes, it could be a, a thunderstorm. So it's just Florida. That's what I'll call it. Nice. Alex, I'd love for you to sort of give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself, maybe what you're doing, um, where you are, your stage of your life. Tell us a little bit about uh, maybe kind of how you grew up. So my, again, my name is Alex Cunningham. I'm 26 years old. I was born in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica. I moved up here when I was about eight years old, eight or nine years old. We moved to Queens and we stayed with an aunt. Now my aunt and my mother were both of 14 children. So when we all moved up, everybody came through her house in New York City, actually in Queens, not too far from you. Yeah. We all came through her house. That was our Ellis Island. We were there for a couple of years while my mother put together her life, essentially, in a new country. And then from there, we moved upstate New York, about two hours north. And there I spent most of my life, about, I would say, 12 to 13 years before I left to start my own family when I came down here to Florida. I went to school in Poughkeepsie in my hometown. I went for (laughs) athletic training. Yeah, I was in, I went to college in Binghamton. Oh, yeah. It's funny. I coached track and field when I was in New York. And three of my athletes now run track for Binghamton, which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah, Binghamton's a great school. Yeah, so you're like an upstate native then, essentially, for 10 to 12 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know well. For you, Alex, what made you move out of New York City? I mean, most people that want to, like, I guess, we're not maybe not moving out of New York City, but New York in general. What was that like for you? I guess you had a family. Was it someone you met? What was that, what was that process like? To be completely honest, for me, it was like I had to start over. So in New York, after going to college, I was still staying with my mom. It was me and my mother and my girlfriend lived with us at the time. And then we actually had a child together. And during that time, I was still coaching. Essentially, I was sole proprietor. So I was doing my athletic training, but I was working for myself. And I was doing some coaching on the side. I started a essentially an athletic training company, but not the sports medicine aspect, but the like athletic development. So getting athletes ready for semi-professional play, club play, and professional play as well. So I was doing a couple different things, always trying to start my own business. But in that, I was too young to understand what it took to raise a family. So during that time, there's a lot of, you know, disagreements as for what was supposed to be done. And again, I was still very young-minded, even though I was very ambitious in my financial goals. In relationships, I was still very you know, immature. So we actually split up for a while. So when she went back home, I actually decided to start over completely and go down to Florida with the idea that I would go down to Florida, start over, start fresh from my own two feet, and put together a life so that she and my child could come back to Florida, which is eventually what happened. 
why Florida? What was it there that attracted you to Florida or maybe any other place, like say New Jersey or, you know, or, you know even Connecticut, for example? There's three things for me. One, the weather. I am a New York native, but I'm still Jamaican at heart and in my blood. I couldn't take those winters anymore. Just for me, just being cold is so uncomfortable. Being hot, you know, equally sucks, but yeah. I can take it. You know, I, I it's oh, yeah, something I, never, I grew up with. I'd rather be hot and then super cold. I could take the warmness versus uh, the coldness, which is like just sucks. 100%. And for me, it's always easier to take stuff off to yeah. cool yourself down than it is to find a coat when, you know, the wind is bursting through your sealed windows, your sealed doors, and it's still cold inside. I'd much rather be in a warm situation where I could turn a fan on or turn some AC on or whatever. Yeah. All right, Alex, from what you're saying, you're pretty young and you have obviously ambitious goals. What made you decide to sort of maybe start this you're doing your own like program for athletes and uh, fit, people with fitness. What made you want to do that or just not maybe work at a job? What made you kind of like get this sort of entrepreneurship type of role? It took me a while to realize what really drove me there. I know as a child, I always loved the idea of money. And maybe it was because the way I grew up, we didn't have a ton of it. Like we, I didn't know we didn't have a ton of it. But I remember very vividly, I was at my dad's job. I was probably maybe like six or seven, maybe. I was at my dad's job and I was literally using a calculator and trying to calculate how much money... I would have how much money my little brother would have my little sister and I gave them kind of like fake careers he was a soccer player he ended up playing basketball and I made her a model she's beautiful but she went the brilliant route like she's really really smart but I sat there calculating how many millions we would have and then when we came to New York and I lived with my mom it was kind of the same thing like we we didn't have a lot of money we never knew it, but I, I always refrained from asking for things. Like she didn't know what to get me for Christmas, my birthday, because I would always tell her it's okay. Like I wouldn't ask for video games. I wouldn't ask for clothes. She had to force feed me clothes. So I guess my upbringing made me really desire to amass a fortune, not because of anything anyone said to me, but just because of what I was used to and what I wanted. So not going the job route, I didn't see anybody in my family or anybody I knew, period, go the job route and get the amount of money that I wanted. So I just knew that I had to start a business if I wanted to get the amount of money that I really, really wanted to amass. And on top of it, I didn't like people telling me what to do that weren't my mother. Yeah. So anybody that's not my mom or like a close family member telling me what to do was just something I rebelled against internally and externally too in school which got me in trouble quite a bit i'm kind of like that too like i tell you all the time like why do you become an entrepreneur i'm like because I, I just can't listen to people and i've had bosses before and yeah i mean i have great bosses i've worked in silicon valley for i'm telling you four or five years and and even there like i still felt like telling people telling what to do i'm gonna do my own <laughs> thing right it's an innate thing that i think either you have or you don't i just never liked that i was like i could do this better and that was always my mentality i could do what they're doing what's stopping me from doing it right and I think it's just like an internal sort of hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm probably like unemployable just because like I like to do things my own way. Maybe not the best way, but like well, that's how I'll, I think. Yeah. I'll tell you a story. I was in. I guess it's not really a story. It speaks to my character. But I've grown up a lot since then. Like I said, I was very immature. I ran track and field in college, and my coach. I pretty much spent the first two years. The third year, I went to him with a long list of all the things wrong with his program. <laughs> and so I went to a meeting with him and I told him all the things that I wanted him to change because they were really okay with not winning. They just wanted to have fun. 
And I was like, no, like if I do anything in life, I want to win. And if I lose, it's because they were better, not because I laid down. So I sat there and told him, we need to do this. We need to do this. We're not utilizing this, this, this. And he didn't talk to me probably for about two or three weeks. That kind of like, hey, I know I'm not the boss here, but like you said, I think we could do this better. And I got to tell somebody or I'm not going to be okay with it, you know? And I think what you said makes sense because there's going to be people out there that are going to get upset at you that you said something, but that's fine. I think some people just are okay with being mediocre, right? And that's how it is. I hate saying it. It's like, you know, some people are just fine just being like, okay, I'm just going to like do what I'm told. And that's it. Where there's other people that are just going to be like, hey, no, I want to change something. I want to do something. And I think that sort of shows the world why there's entrepreneurs and why you also need employees or people that work for you because not everybody is going to be an entrepreneur and it's just a mindset thing. And I think sometimes, at least for me, when I was much younger, I'm 31 now, when I was your age, I was always like, hey, how come people aren't like me? Like, how come they don't want to do things? How come they're lazy? And it took me a much longer time, maybe three years after that, oh, like, not everybody can be like me because then you don't have no employees. You don't want people to work for you, right? So <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, it'll drive you crazy. It'll drive you crazy at first. It really will. It really will. And for the longest time, I was always kind of battling, like, why does no one want to do this like me? Like, it was a weird thing. Because you probably know, too. People would ask, Alex, how can I do what you're doing? And you would tell them, and like, three months later, they'd be like, oh, yeah, like, something came up. What came up? (laughs) (laughs) You all know those people that will do things. I tell people all the time, maybe you do, too. Just go do it. Like, you'll figure it out. It's going to suck, but it's better than not doing it. Going back on maybe your entrepreneurship, kind of tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and sort of like that journey that you have. Obviously, it seems like your family's back with you, which is great. Was that a part of the goal? How did that happen? And was it because like your financial success? What was like some of the things that sort of brought everything back together for you? So I mentioned the first reason that I moved here, but I guess I mentioned two reasons why I moved here, the weather and also to start over. The third reason I moved here was because of my, I had a family member down here that has a very strong moral compass. And he already had a family. He had a family of his wife and he had two children. And then he had a third on the way. So for me, coming down here was both a a renewal for me as a person to develop myself, but also to learn from him before I got my family back here, what it is I needed to do before they got here so I could be successful. So when I came down here, I stayed with him for about three months. I slept on his couch, got two jobs, one in my field and then one as a personal trainer at a gym. And for some reason, I killed it my first couple months in the gym with just sales and bringing a clientele in. I mean, I was able to move out of his house in probably about three months, got my own place. And then eventually when she was ready to move, I bought an apartment. But it wasn't so much anything I did entrepreneur-wise, what got us together, more so just developing myself as a person and realizing that, like you said before, some things just suck, but they have to. They have to suck at first, and then you can smooth things out later. So for me, the sucky thing was walking to work, getting a ride to work when I got here, sleeping on a couch, getting an efficiency in the back of somebody else's house, renting out a room, and learning to save intelligently and and live frugally so I could put together a life for her to come down here. That for me was how the whole kind of thing wrapped up together. And that personal development part was probably the biggest thing for me. Being a man in a relationship with another person, with a woman, you have to learn to take L's. You have to learn to build her up and you know maintain a family. And patience is a big thing in business and in relationships. So I think the patience I learned from my relationship allowed me to take it into my business life today. Yeah. I think obviously something that is probably interesting to a lot of people listening to the podcast is obviously 
you have a family, you have a wife, you have a kid or a girlfriend, and you're managing your own businesses. How do you time manage? What does that look like for you? Do you have like a set schedule? Obviously, you want to spend time with your kid. Like, how does that work for you? Luckily, I trade. I decided to go with the investing route. I did start out with real estate when I got here. I did a, an extensive amount of education on real estate, but I decided to go the stock market route when I just kind of put the pros and cons together for myself. So trading allows me to you know, be mobile. I mean, I can help with the children and be more hands-on because a lot of things in the stock market are you do your research for an hour, hour and a half, and you find whatever you want to set up and then you can get away. It's not something you have to constantly pound into your day which helps with just being able to change diapers and feed and go take a break. I got them, like things like that. With the podcasting, I'm up till 2 a.m. pretty much every night just because I have to wait till everybody in the house is asleep before I record. And then once I record it, I have to edit it and you know produce it and then publish it for the next morning at 6 a.m. So time management-wise is good because my job allows me to shrink how much time I have to work spend time with the kids and the wife in the morning and trade in the morning. And then I'm up till 2 a.m. probably just recording stuff. Now, my plan is to get a, I'm going to buy the new MacBook. That's the goal as a business investment though. I don't like spending, I don't like spending money, but I don't want to keep staying up till 2 a.m. It's just something I had to do in the interim. When I get this, I'll be able to record and edit and produce at my job. So now I'll be able to kind of compound all that stuff into work and work on myself all in the same six to eight hours so that when I come home, I can give more time to family, children, or anything else. I think what you said is really interesting point that a lot of people might think. It's like, yeah, you're buying a MacBook and yeah, it's going to cost money, but it really is investment. And it's not just investment in obviously the business, but it's also investment in your time. And if you can speed it up, that's so much better because if you can get this done within one hour versus, you know, three hours, then that helps you at least like, you know, do more things or more tasks. A question about like maybe your podcast and sort of how that's growing. How are you getting listeners? How are you getting people to find you? The good thing is my cousin actually has been podcasting for five or six years. So he's got a crazy, crazy, crazy amount of knowledge in podcasting. And I've always kind of envied him just knowing that the content he produced and listening to the episodes and listen to people that he was able to interview. So I've always envied him, but I never thought it was within my realm. And when I first started the podcast, I just hit record and I just shared with family, friends on my socials. And actually just good timing. He was starting a podcast network, Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. He's creating a podcast network where he's adding shows to the network and helping to promote them and to build his brand out. So luckily I had already started my show. You know, it wasn't a lot of listeners, but he was, you know, willing and able to help me grow my show. So the marketing, I I leave completely up to him and his team. And my listeners have been growing with his ability to market my show as well as continuing to share on my socials, interviewing people, interviewing as many prominent people as I can, as well as regular people as well. Because again, I'm not a multimillionaire. So I would like to talk to multimillionaires, but also talk to people who are just like me, who are just doing the day to day, but trying to level up every single day. So I think that's been able to help my show grow because I'm, I'm tapping into an audience of a large gathering, but also targeting people who are just like me and their smaller audiences and kind of bringing two different communities together. 
Yeah, exactly. I think with podcasting, same thing with us, we're not like super famous or anything like that, but we have like a story that people can relate to that are listening to. And it's sort of, as you grow, other people grow and you promote each other. And I think that's a great, everybody's kind of trying to figure out like how to make it work, right? Not really a new medium, but kind of is. There's no way to like properly advertise and Unless you're like, obviously you probably know Alex, like the big ones, like Joe Rogan. Like, yeah. But he also was like super famous before podcasting. So like he had an audience beforehand that just translated well to his podcast. Oh yeah. I never watched Joe Rogan podcast or listened to him, but just because I saw the name Dave Chappelle, I watched it. So, I mean, he's getting millions of views because he can pull somebody like a Kevin Hart. His podcast isn't going anywhere because he can pull crazy names, get millions of views. It's good for him. It's, it's his niche for people like you and me. You know, podcasting is a super cool space in that people don't mind working together. It's not as cutthroat as a lot of other industries, which I like because you can talk to like-minded people and, you know, help each other out without feeling like, oh, he's one rank above me. I shouldn't talk to him or he's one rank above. It's not as competitive in that space. I think what you're saying is right. You can reach out to a lot of podcasters. Hey, like, can we get a show? And really the biggest thing is just time. Like everybody's kind of busy. It's like, okay. But really most people don't say like, no, I would never talk to you. It's more like, okay, we can talk, but like maybe three months from now, it's like, all right, cool. All right. Everybody wants to sort of help each other out in the space. It's a really nice community at the moment. And I wish there was more ways, at least for podcasting to like connect with your listeners. Obviously people listen to podcasts on like iTunes or I use Overcast. But it'd be great if like people could leave comments on your episodes, right? You don't know what people are saying. You're like, oh, this is a good point. It feels very like web 1.0 where it's like there is no social media aspect of podcasting yet. And I think some apps are going to do it. But unless Apple builds it in, like no one's going to use it because Apple's still like, what, 90% distribution, right? So Yeah, I, I talked to Greg and his team at Tiny Leaps about that too. You can get thousands of listeners, but how do you get just one of them or just two of them, three of them to be in a community because I know he has a Facebook community that's very interactive, but I haven't cracked it yet. And I think it's because what you said, podcasting is still relatively new, like it's a new space that people have to get comfortable with. And then somebody like an Apple or Amazon, now that they have their own platform, you would expect them to build something social around it where you don't have to take your community onto a different platform to be social with them. Exactly. That's something I'm trying to figure out too and sort of see how we can make it better for everybody else too. It's interesting because if you think about Apple, they don't have like a social aspect. Obviously there's like Facebook and whatever the thing Google had, right? Google circles or something like that. And then there's Twitter, but Apple doesn't really have like this sort of social play. I'm curious to see like, why they don't take it like a little step further, right? So that just on the still topic, you mentioned uh, why Apple didn't make that move. I was listening to mention him again. Gary Vee was on a podcast. He kind of talked about the big giants and how, None of them have quite layered every single aspect, but they're working on it individually. I mean, they have the marketplace, they have streaming, music and video streaming. Amazon has retail and Facebook is moving into retail with, with their partnership with you know Shopify and small businesses. Everybody trying to trickle down and capture every part of our attention. So Apple, I've done like three or four episodes about Apple. I don't own any Apple products, but I love the idea of Apple, that they're trying to integrate every single part of your life seamlessly and they make this cult-like following. So if Apple were to make something like that where they can make social across their platforms, I mean, 
once you have Apple, would you really need to go anywhere else? People will start like, I'm migrating to Apple now. I've always been against Apple, but now I'm going to buy a MacBook. I'm going to probably end up getting an iPhone because you're just gravitating to this company because they've done such a good job. So if they get social, this whole monopoly thing is going to get really interesting if they do decide to go into the social and retail space. But I still want it, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting to see. I guess this goes back to maybe your stocks. Do you invest heavily in tech stocks at all? Or is it mostly just like other stuff that you do? You know, I wish. I missed the boat. Oh my God, I missed the boat. And I saw it coming, but (laughs) I didn't trust it because it doesn't make sense. When things don't make sense, I tend to try to avoid them because, you know, Robinhood uh, has made this whole thing so murky. Robinhood and TikTok. You have all these kids who have just turned 18 or are lying on their forms or use their mom or dad's account. And they're just like, they're buying tech like they don't know what it's like for things to go down. So all the, the, the PE ratios are you know way out of whack and things are way overvalued. But I see it going up, but I'm so afraid to touch it because in my mind, it's not making sense. And I know why it's not making sense. So I missed the initial jump. So right now, I'm doing more kind of swing trading where I'm in and I'm out. I'm relying heavily on just technical analysis because right now there is no fundamental analysis right now. And I say the kids, I mean, I'm, I'm a kid too. I'm 26, but like the people who just started trading on Robinhood are really like pumping things super, super heavy. So I try to stay away from all that stuff for any kind of long-term positions. I'm kind of in and out and all of my long-term holdings that I add to are all like old-time companies. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess for maybe for you, like, what would be some good advice for someone that wants to get into trading or, you know, I don't really do trading that much. I have some stuff in Robinhood, but like, I just like pick stuff that I think is makes sense, right? Like, I'm like, oh, um, Upwork makes sense. Like, Tesla makes sense. Like, but how would someone go about learning this if someone just wants to do this like a side hustle? And is this like a great side hustle? Or do you think about it as like, hey, you need to really focus your time on this? I think it's two things. I think what you're doing right now should be the route that most people take instead of like buying companies that they have no idea about and just, oh, it's cheap and everybody else is buying it. Let me buy it. You've used Upwork before. You've had your hands on Upwork. You understand how the company model. You may or may not drive a Tesla, but you know what Tesla is. You know who runs a company. You know what Elon Musk is like. I think people who are interested in it should start within their circle of competence. And that's something that even Warren Buffett says. You can go speculative. You can kind of throw money at the wall and hope something sticks. But it's so much more easing mentally. And it'll make more sense to you when things move up and down if you start within your circle of competence. I mean, you use toilet paper, you use dish soap, so there's Procter & Gamble. You go to Walmart, you go to Target, you may eat McDonald's. I know people eat McDonald's. People at McDonald's typically don't stop. So you know McDonald's is, people use Amazon. So you want to stick to things that you understand. And I would say 100% education and practice. There's a saying what Michael Jordan talks about, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Oh, no, it was Wayne Gretzky, and then Michael Jordan stole it. <laughs> it's 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, the reality of it is all professional athletes take hundreds of thousands of shots, and we only know about a couple thousand of them. The stock market gives you the same ability. I mean, you can paper trade on a bunch of different platforms and trade with fake money. Learn what it's like to lose fake money. Learn what it's like to feel the joy of making fake money too. If you can grow a fake account, 
then you can start to trickle in your own money using some strategies that you developed to now build up your small account and not be not take too much risk. But if the professionals like LeBron James and a Kobe Bryant, and we watch them all day, you know, rest in peace, Kobe, we watch them all day. If they will practice for literally hours to play a two-hour game, why wouldn't you do the same thing in the stock market? And I think that's a great place to start for some people. And I think everybody, regardless of their education level or practical experience, should have a long-term account. They should be buying stocks that they use. My girlfriend has Apple this, Apple that, Apple that. Apple's coming down right now, and I know they're probably going to come down to 110 again. I want her buying at least one share of Apple because if you use it every day and you can't go a day without using it, then it's probably a good company. So everybody should have some kind of long-term equity in companies that they know they use and they can trust. Yeah, and I think what you said makes sense. It's At least for in the beginning when you're starting, it's go with what you know and you know you use this company a lot and there's probably other people like you and you know that's kind of a similar sentiment. And then once you sort of get a feel for things, go and research companies that maybe you don't know about, but you know, there's like a little bit of science behind things or, you know, that stuff is coming out that might make their stock go up. But in the beginning, it's, it doesn't hurt to go with the companies that you know and that you love, right? So Google, obviously, this company will never go out of business. It's like they print money. So obviously Google shares are pretty high. You know, this is a company that for 20 years, like unless they completely screw it up, people will still be using this company or the government breaks it up, right? 100%. Upwork is going to get acquired by somebody. So right now Upwork's not expensive, but like you own Upwork, a position in Upwork, it doesn't move a lot now because it's not a highly traded stock, but someone's going to buy it. I mean, you're not going to have Fiverr and Upwork just kind of sitting there without some kind of major company coming in, acquiring them, realizing how many people are going towards working from home and also how many people are trying to be entrepreneurs now and realize that they can outsource their work within the country and outside of the country. Someone's going to buy, yeah, because Upwork is a great, people never thought about it, but it's like people are realizing now like, oh, like I can get and we're all working remotely. I can get someone in like Europe for half the price and they're still as good as this person that's living here in the US, right? That's not even as good, right? So I think it's one of those companies that uh, people are gonna be like, oh, wow, like crazy how like this platform exists and it's so cheap, right? It's like cheap stock, yeah. You didn't have to take a course on, I mean, courses are great, but you didn't have to take a course on that for someone to tell you to buy Upwork. You just get a feeling. You just use it and you know. I mean, education is great. I was listening to one of your podcasts. You talked about that. Like, You can learn stuff on your own, but there is a value in getting a course from somebody that has a lot of experience in your particular area. So if you do want to take a course on stock market investing, whatever, then do it. Just have a healthy level of skepticism as well. Whenever you do any kind of course, have a, you know, a decent level of skepticism, but do take in and soak in the information so that if you do decide you want to go into more active trading, that you're going there with some kind of a, a base. And I think what you said is makes perfect sense of any sort of, not even just investing, like any course, I think courses are great. And, and I think not that many people invest in them because they feel like they're going to get scammed. And yeah, maybe some are, but a lot of them are going to teach you something that you don't know. And even now at this stage in my life, I still take courses because even if I learn one thing, it's worth it because I'm like, it's one thing I didn't know unless someone taught me it. And now like, how do you learn? It's not like you're going to school every day. It's like, you just got to read stuff online and courses are great. At least for me personally, when a course is pretty expensive, I think it's worth it because they're probably want to make sure that like you're a, a different game than like a $20 course. A $20 course is like the basic shit. Like I tell people, like, this is so basic, but if you're spending like two, three K a course, it's like, okay, like if you're going to charge that much, the course creator 
has to have some balls to have good content or else they're going to get tons of refunds, right? So uh, that's what that's that's I think at least. Yeah, you get what you pay for. You go to McDonald's or you go to, yeah. you know, you go to a five-star restaurant, you're going to get the, the quality that you pay for. And again, like you said, even if you quote-unquote get scammed, which I mean... Most likely, you know, you know, like, you know, like, <laughs> cards work right now. Like, if you're scamming people, like, you're not going to be online for like a long time. A lot of these people know that it's in their best interest to give you something that they're going to learn, or else they're going to lose their merchant account. And most people listening, if you lose your merchant account, let's say you can never advertise, you can never sell stuff online again. Oh no! And people nowadays are ruthless. If you if you scam somebody that has just enough influence, you're blackballed across the internet. I mean, people will troll you everywhere you go. Now, if someone gives you information that you maybe weren't looking for, then that's not being scammed. That's just you went to the wrong place yeah. for what you were looking for. I think what you said is so important too, but also at the same time, it's not the course itself. It's also what do you do after? Do you take action? Because you can listen and read all you want, but do you actually put it into play? Because there's some courses that I've taken and I'm like, whoa, this is worth more than like the 10K that I paid for because it's so good once you put it into play. I'm like, I made this back in like two sales, right? It's like, whoa, this is so crazy. Exactly, exactly. All right, Alex, great conversation. I'd love for you to sort of maybe just end this with, you know, maybe some advice that you would give to like a new entrepreneur or somebody, you know, in your stage in your life that's like young, that's kind of trying to figure it out. What's some advice you would give them? I think the biggest advice that I would give people is kind of the advice that I took when I moved to Florida was that sometimes just humility is super, super important because, you know, had I not been humble enough to say, you know, I messed up, let me go to you know, let me move to a new state and live with some, live with a cousin who's going to teach me why I messed up, you know, and okay, well, I don't want to work for somebody else, but this is what I need to do right now because what I'm doing isn't at the level it needs to be. So I have to do this in the interim. So being able to be humble and to realize that, you know, things take time as well, just to be more patient and to don't be down on yourself because like there are times where I thought I'd be a millionaire by 25 and I'm not. So like there are times where I'm like, man, where did I mess up? But the reality of it is everyone's on their own schedule, Mm -hmm. you know? So if you're somebody who maybe you have a podcast and you only have five listeners, well, give those five listeners something to listen to, right? Give them some amazing content and hope they bring somebody, a sixth or seventh listener. Like just have patience with yourself, right? Don't be too down yourself. And I guess the last thing would be just to double down on your development as a person. Now, your income is limited to, you know, not by what you do, but who you are, right? You can, you can get a million dollars today. Like if someone gave you a million dollars today, I'd better learn to become a millionaire right now or else I'm going to lose everything. You don't get a million dollars before you become a millionaire. It's, it's a mindset first. So working on that development in yourself and whatever it is you want to do, you want to be a podcaster, learn how to speak, become someone who is comfortable speaking to yourself and speaking to people. If you want to be someone who's in sales, get comfortable talking to someone and, you know, asking for the sale, not just, you know, being nice, but be comfortable asking for something once you've delivered value. And then eventually, whatever it is you want in life is going to come to match you where you are as a person. So much great advice there to all listeners. It's really one of the key things I got from there was don't compare yourself to other people because they're just on a different path from you. And that's with anything in life. For example, like me and Alex, potentially we've been doing this for you know a few years now and someone just starting out. It's just a different journey. You'll, you'll learn as you go and you'll quickly learn as you start doing more. When I was down that age too, I would look at people and be like, oh man, like 
how can I be like them? But like, let's say Elon Musk, for example, I would then just look up his bio and be like, what did he do to get there? And how do I take those same steps versus like, how do I get to where he's now? Because that's like impossible. You just got to read what they're doing. Like, oh, Elon did three companies before. Okay, maybe I need to do three companies before this to maybe become successful, right? So you sort of like, maybe try to reverse engineer those paths versus like where they are right now. Yeah. And people don't know, Elon Musk slept on a couch when he was, what was it? He was creating PayPal. Yeah, yep. He was sleeping on somebody else's couch. You know, Robert Kiyosaki was homeless when he was creating his his multi-million dollar company. So, I mean, like low-key, like you said, look up their story. They're very honest. People admit when they were down in the dumps and yeah, they're maybe millionaires or billionaires now, but you know, Everybody started out just like everybody else. I think what the story of Elon Musk is is great. A lot of people don't even know he created PayPal. I'm like, you use it every day. And like, that's his first, that's like, what it, <laughs> that's like, and it's crazy if you think about it because PayPal is such a big company now, but when he first created it, it was like, what, I think they sold it for like, what, 80 million? Like not that much, right? But like now he's obviously a much richer now from like his other companies. But I think if people think about PayPal as a company, there's so many great books on PayPal. That was so crazy to think about payments online. This was what, like 30 years ago? Now it's so obvious, but 30 years ago, think about how difficult of a problem that was even to think about that this was possible. And he took that chance, you know, when he didn't have any money. Exactly. Alex, that was such a great episode. Thank you for coming on today. Where can people go find you or maybe even learn more about you? Do you have a Twitter or LinkedIn or just maybe an email? Thank you. Thank you. They can reach me personally if they want to you know, message me at my personal account. It's alchemist, A-L-K-E-E-M-I-S-T underscore. My podcast, Market Adventures Podcast, has its own Instagram at Market Adventures Podcast. And they can actually just call or text me. I have a Google voice number where I talk to just, I'll talk to listeners or just anybody who's interested in talking to me. 786 254 1413 and they can text or call that number anytime if they have any questions at all with stocks mindset podcasting whatever perfect thank you so much alex and guys take them on that offer and, and give them a chat alex thank you so much for coming on digital marketing fast lane everybody else thank you guys and i hope you have a great rest of the day this week's episode of digital marketing fast lane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at voy media join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips techniques and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be if you have any questions comments or feedback we'd love to hear them on twitter at voy media thank you